Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The Actus Podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. Today, May 12th, marks our 179th program. So today's featured Actus solution, as you can see on your screens, is Actus Online CDI Summer Retreat. A retreat, as you might expect, is a place of privacy, safety, security, where like-minded individuals come together to withdraw from the day-to-day, -day, study, learn from each other, take a collective breath, uh, recharge personally and professionally, and, and in this case, get some CEUs as well. That's why we've developed this, this fun three-day, two-track program kicking off the first week of summer, June 23rd through 25th. I'm really excited about this program. It's our largest virtual event yet. And yes, we are planning on coming back live in October. Uh, but this summer, we hope you can join us for this retreat. Again, it's two tracks. We've got some traditional bread and butter CDI content, but we've also got sessions on professional developments, including how to build trust within your CDI department, connect with physicians, etc. Um, we're going to have some fun elements, including two keynotes, a virtual cocktail hour, and a pretty cool platform that allows for live stream discussion amongst um, all of our attendees. So it's a great way to network. So check it out at hcmarketplace.com. All right, so my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Missing the Bedside and, and Finding Purpose. So I'm joined today by my familiar co-host at left, Laurie Prescott. You all know Laurie. She probably doesn't need an introduction at this point, but I'll give her one anyway. She is the CDI Education Director for us here at Actus and HC Pro. She's the lead developer, instructor for our boot camps, author, principal author of the Actus, Actus Pocket Guide and the uh, CDI Specialist Complete Training Guide. want to welcome her back to the show. Welcome, Laurie. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. Okay. Next, we have uh, two great guests joining us for this program today. We have with us Erica Reamer, MDCCDS. Erica is the president of Erica Reamer MD Inc. in Beechwood, Ohio. Uh, Erica was a practicing emergency physician for 25 years and has extensive coding CDI and ICD-10 experience. Prior to her role in consulting, she was a physician advisor at a large multi-hospital system for four years. You've seen her everywhere. She... Um, just recently rotated off the Actus Advisory Board. Great board member. I'm still keeping her busy behind the scenes. Uh, she currently serves on the American College of Physician Advisors Board of Directors, Talk 10 Tuesday, regular host and, uh, and, and guest there. So I want to welcome Erica to the program. Thank you, Brian. And hi, everybody. All right. We also have with us today uh, Autumn Ryder. Autumn is the Director of CDI Services for Coro Health where she works with clients from multiple facilities to serve in their staffing and auditing needs. Autumn just reminded us, I didn't get a chance to even update the slide, it's so new, that in addition to being an RN, BSN, uh, coding and CDI credentials, she recently earned her MBA. So congratulations, Yay. Autumn. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Woo, woo. And we've recently pressed her on, I mean, she was elected to serve, excuse me, on the Actus Advisory Board, but we're, we're thrilled to have her on as a guest as well. 
Appreciate it, Brian. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, we're going to start with a poll question related to today's topic. Um, and I just have to say, and I'll, I'll reiterate again, that we realize that not all of our listeners uh, are were uh, clinically, don't do have clinical backgrounds, maybe haven't ever worked at the bedside, but that's really what this topic is about. So we're, we are asking our members whether they miss working at the bedside in patient care. If this doesn't apply to you, you can certainly click not applicable. Your other options are yes, maybe it's uh, you regularly miss the bedside or maybe it's occasionally, but it's acute, maybe somewhat. Um, maybe the answer is no, you're, you're pleased to have moved on and don't look back. Again, not applicable or other. I love the other responses. Frankly, if you did check yes, somewhat no or not applicable, you just want to send your response. I do monitor those during the show and we'll be keeping an eye on them. We'll work in maybe some comments and I uh, would love to hear you chime in on this topic. So um, as I mentioned, we have Erica Reamer and Autumn Ryder today. Again, want to welcome you two to the show. Thanks for being a part of the podcast. Um, you know, just as I, as I noted, not all of our listeners uh, work at the bedside. They might be coming to CDI, for example, from HIM or coding or, or another like position. But majority of our members, and we, we do, you know, we have our membership roster and we have a, a membership survey each year. It's about 75%, maybe a little bit higher of Actus members are RNs. We also have some MDs, such as you, Erica, in our ranks. Um, you know, we and we've been hearing, especially over this this past 12 to 14 months with the COVID pandemic, it's been very difficult for, for many folks who have moved from the bedside and into CDI. Uh, we've been hearing some comments about folks feeling disconnected from their purpose, um, maybe some powerlessness when they're seeing doctors and their until recently, you know, their colleague nurses battling with long hours and stress. Um, I was curious if that's the case for you, whether you guys are hearing or seeing this, it's the same thing, feeling the same feelings, um, and if so, why? I don't know who wants to take this first, but I'll, I'll float that out to our, to our guests here. Well, I, I, go ahead. Do you want to go first, Erica, or do you want me to? You go right ahead. Okay. So, um, I think for me, Brian, the hardest part of the pandemic and watching everybody is kind of that what I would almost describe as like a survivor's guilt. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, why am I, why am I better than everybody that's struggling and dealing with this horrific sight at bedside? You know, why, why do I not have to deal with that? Um, and then you hear about people that are losing their lives, um, you know, or lost family members or can't go home because they're afraid of bringing it home. And so for me, it was the struggle of like, I was a bedside ICU nurse. Do I volunteer to go back? It, you know, I mm. went into nursing because that's what I wanted to do was help people. And I've been very fortunate that my path has let me help in a different way. But my struggle was really like, you know, why am I any different? I should be there helping and really had to battle with myself like and let myself know that I was helping in other ways. But I don't know, Erica, if you felt the same or Lori, but you know, particularly in the beginning of things where you were seeing nurses without PPE and, mm -hmm. you know, 
on Facebook, you could see the marks on their face or on the news you were watching and them and they were struggling and emotionally they were just torn. Um, that was the hardest part for me. Yeah, I know that I felt really impotent and anxious, although some of the anxiety I think was actually post COVID-19 related because I had it in early March um, of 2020. And I, consider returning to clinical medicine, but there were actually two obstacles. First, the census and the emergency departments took such a nosedive, which we never like really anticipated that when a pandemic came, it didn't occur to us that all of the elective stuff and all of the people who were there in the emergency department who didn't really need to be there would like stop coming. So we didn't realize that the census was going to go down so much. And then secondly, I really felt like I really wasn't up to date anymore in the most current clinical practice, and I'm not sure that I would be the best person to be taking care of the patients. But what you were talking about seeing on social media, the nurses with the marks on their faces and so on, even seeing accounts of people's experiences in the news or on fictional TV shows, like I used to break out crying periodically, um, like just feeling so helpless. And the, the best I could do was like, listen and try to support anybody that I actually was still friends with in any way I could. And, but it seemed like buying the ED pizza wasn't that much, but it was something I could actually do. So if our other listeners had a similar feeling of helplessness, they should know that they were not alone. Mm-hmm. How about you, Lori? Well, what you guys are saying resonates with me because that I, I found I couldn't sleep at night. I was very anxious, especially at the beginning, because I was seeing people being asked to work in conditions that they shouldn't have been asked to work in. And it it was difficult that way. So that helplessness. Um, and I found um, the way I tried to help was to educate educate, educate, even people that didn't want to be educated um, about what was happening and how they could um, care for themselves and others so that they weren't over overburdening the system. But it, it was difficult. And I guess, that, you know, that, that that leads into my question for you ladies is with that increased anxiety and that feeling of alienation and powerlessness and Autumn you know, you saying survivor's guilt, that's, that describes it very well. What did you do personally? Um, or what did you hear from your clients as to how they were dealing with, with the issue? And, and like, how do you, how did you take care of yourself through this? So for me, um, I, you know, we still continued to do CDI, but I had a lot of team members that um, used this time to volunteer. Um, they would go to the clinics and that's what I recommended. You know, it, although a lot of us had not given immunizations in a long time, right? Um, it, it's kind of like hopping on a bike. They showed them how to do it and they were able to um, volunteer that way. But again, I think, reminding my teams and you know the clients that we worked with that what we were doing was just as valuable it's just hard to wrap your mind around it when you see that you're not like hands-on bedside but you know finding ways and i think that's why this is so important finding others to even talk about the feelings with knowing that you're not alone and that we all 
you know, had these kind of lingering feelings, but no one knew what to do with them. And was it just me that was feeling that way or there's others? So that's why I think this is great because if we can keep the dialect open, because we all know that mental health issues are going to be a huge um, component and, and lasting effect of this. So being able to come together as a community and talk about all of these feelings, I think is the first step in making sure that we're all okay. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the first thing you really need to do is take care of yourself and your family. Um, and I was really happy that it happened going into the spring because my husband and I walked almost every day to get exercise. And it was eerie to chat with neighbors who were doing the same thing, but you had to do it from across the road for social distancing purposes. And I, I've been doing online yoga sites. I actually had originally I was trying to support my my yogi and I would um, hire him like once a week to give me private lessons because I didn't want him to like lose all of his money. Um, my kids boomeranged home and I was just, you know, I'm trying to find be grateful for opportunities like being with my family. And then I can tell you that like my business kind of tanked at, at the beginning. So I really did throw myself into learning about like you were talking about, Lori, about um I threw myself into COVID-19 and if it weren't for the whole people dying and being terrified thing, it's been really fascinating. Um, the, the COVID-19, the disease process and the coding and the evolution of ICD-10 CM has really been riveting. If you can just forget about all of the actual clinical part of it. Right. <laughs> it was interesting to see the, the, the speed with which the, uh, the, the coding guidelines were updated and, some potential changes and we're going to see new codes coming out and um, it was interesting to see it all evolve in real time. You know, just uh, maybe about staying connected, you know, this has been something that uh, many of our members are working from home, almost all were sent home. Um, many remain working from home due to the pandemic, uh, which has certainly been a job satisfier in many ways, but we also know it's harder to keep in touch with colleagues and feel part of an organization. I was just keeping tabs on the comments coming in. You know, Ina, one of our listeners wrote, missed the critical face-to-face -face value. The value of CDI is appreciated with one-to-one -one contact. Our clinical strength and knowledge is, is integral. Um, so some comments there just about that side of things. How, how, I guess, do you have any ideas or strategies for maybe from what you're hearing from clients or your colleagues about staying connected and feeling part of your organization? You know, Brian, actually, the first thing I want to do is actually give people permission to feel, to, to be insular. Um, if people are finding it hard to have energy to reach out to people the way you used to, <clears throat> it's okay and it's perfectly normal because this situation is very energy consuming. And some people may actually find that they like being away from other people, especially if you're an introverted kind of a person. But some of us may also be feeling lonely. And if you reach out to other people who are struggling to manage, you have to recognize that they may not be able to muster up the energy to connect with you the way that they might have in the past or hopefully the way they will in the future. So give them permission to do what they need to do to take care of themselves. And then find other people who long for connection. And it's funny because I, I, I like look back now and I wonder, why did it never occur to me? I have, we have a lot of friends who are in Michigan because my husband lives there and, you know, I was, and my, my siblings live far away. Why did it never occur to us to have drinks with friends by Zoom before? 
I think video chatting is actually going to be here to stay. And then now that we're getting vaccinated, it's like the heavy weight is being removed and we can start breathing again and we can start being physically with people, other people again without the same degree of fear. So I really want to encourage everyone to get vaccinated. Good stuff, Erica. Good advice. Any thoughts? Yeah, Oh, go ahead, and from I'll... what we're seeing with different, you know, clients or we've tried to integrate is just having those Zoom meetings that maybe don't pertain to work. It's just time to see each other. And we laugh because, you know, it looks like the Brady Bunch. Like <laughs> I might be dating myself of like when they started and they were all looking down on each other in the squares. But um, I think we remember that. Yeah, just, just, to that. <laughs> <laughs> just to know that people are there um, and to just have that time to talk. I think like Erica said, that's you know, a lot of us consumed ourselves with work because, you know, we couldn't really do anything else, but giving yourself a mental break just to talk to the people that you are friends with and communicate in some way and, and listen to each other. And, you know, that, I think that's the best way, but like Erica said, now that things are opening up and people are getting vaccinated, I think it's really going to start to alleviate some of that loneliness and that, you know, isolation feeling, but for some people, uh, my team included, we work 100% remote. So really just trying to stay connected the best way possible and um, listening to each other and supporting each other through this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a homebody. I'm a person that likes to sit at home and read a book and, and be quiet. So socializing can be difficult. Um, so working remotely, which I've done for years, I've actually enjoyed. My husband says my best day is when I don't have to talk to anybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, for me, it's been difficult. So I know it's been difficult for the social butterflies of the world because I'm I'm reaching that point of, you know, and one thing, Brian, that you've done is we, we do have those little Actus Zoom meetings. Um, I think the al alcohol lubricates the conversation a little, but it's so fun to see everybody's faces. And that's something that I, as a remote person, didn't experience on a regular basis was right. just that interaction with my coworkers. So I'm hoping that things like that um, continue because I think we've learned how to socialize a different way. Now, Erica, you've um, you participated in the vaccine administration. I, I noted you on social media, media last week looking for people to give shots to. <laughs> um, can you um, talk to us about that role and, um, you know, yeah. how, how that worked and getting involved? Yeah, it was actually really funny because um, I, I was really, when, when, it, when the vaccine started rolling out, I thought, this is something I can actually do. I can finally do something. So I signed up for the Medical Reserve Corps, took a bunch of little courses online. Um, and it was basically retired nurses and doctors uh, and the um, Cuyahoga County um, Board of Health was running mass vaccinations. Um, and so since January, I've been vaccinating like one to two times a week. And I could give like up to 90 shots in the morning. It was really funny that Autumn was saying about like getting a, a, a refresher on how to give IM shots. At the beginning, the very first day, they said, you know, who hasn't uh, given a shot in a while? And a bunch of people raised their hand and I raised my hand. I said like, um, ever? Because in the emergency department, if somebody needs a shot, you kind of go like this patient needs a shot and then the nurse gives a shot. <laughs> so, so they taught me how to do it. And, and like the second,
second shot I gave somebody was like, oh, that was great. I didn't even feel it. You're so good at that. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to tell them that's the second shot I've ever given them. They might not like that. Um, but it's really, really sad because due to vaccine hesitancy and resistance, um, we started like towards the end, we started having a lot of extra, like there were a lot of extra doses and we, I was calling everyone and I, I'm, I'm fortunate that in my circle, everyone was already vaccinated, but I, I was able to get like my pest guy and my landscaper vaccinated. But the problem is we're not there yet. We do not, we are not going to have herd immunity. And I really want to encourage people that if you have not gotten vaccinated or anybody else that you know hasn't, you should encourage them because the vaccine, the supply is there and we need the arms. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that, Erica. Yeah, thank you. Yep. I'm just taking a look at the comments that were coming in here, some really good ones. And uh, I know we're getting close to the end of our interview portion of the show, but I have to read a few of these. Um, Someone wrote, uh, Robin wrote, she's been in CDI since April 2007, hasn't kept up her clinical skills, but does, does stay up to date researching new techniques, reassured herself that what she was doing was so important to hospitals staying opened. Um, Kathy wrote that she was furloughed and found purpose by helping a lot of her elderly neighbors navigate the craziness, like physician appointments, helping getting them there. She also wow. took, a, took a leadership role in education, infection prevention, and doing cleaning uh, protocols in her church, which kept her very busy. <laughs> um, Stacy writes, the other thing is, all of a sudden, I, I feel like I need to somehow prove to other healthcare professionals that I'm still a nurse. So feeling some of that yeah. alienation. Um, I like this one. Uh, Jean writes, one of our physician champions created a happy place site on our teams where we could encourage each other and find laughs. She would also present specific excuse, exercise, excuse me, exercise challenges from week to week, allowing us to support each other. And finally, what, Patty, a great, that, what great ideas. I know. Patty mentions this is the last one. Uh, her team does a 30 minute coffee break with each other. And the only rule is we can't talk about work. It's kept us. Oh, I love that. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. I guess the last thing I know we're running past here just to wrap up. Um, we're kind of leading to this question, but can CDI still make a difference um, in, in patient care? I know it's you're not at the bedside anymore, and um, but improving clinical care through documentation, it's, it's sort of people sort of somewhat acknowledge this. Um, others really think it's totally removed at this point, but some people say, well, if the, if the patient's story is good, I'm, I'm helping. Maybe it's indirectly, but maybe sometimes, maybe it's, you know, when you're clarifying a surgical complication or even concurrently that might lead to an intervention. Um, do you think CDI can still touch the patient even if they're, they're not doing that anymore? I definitely do because first and foremost, ICD-10 codes were meant as data collection. So right. what we are doing is making sure that the most appropriate code is assigned to that patient. And in turn, that data can be used to determine treatments that are most effective. How do we keep patients out of the hospital? Um, I mean, that's what it was really meant for. 
And so our role is helping patients get better care. It's just in a different way than a lot of us are used to. And, you know, and two, when we look at continuity of care, um, particularly in transfer settings or when we deal with hospitalists that are, you know, coming on and off shifts and um, people are being moved to long-term care facilities or other acute care settings, I mean, those notes are imperative so the next provider knows exactly what happened with that patient. So I, I definitely feel like CDI makes an impact on the direct patient care. It's we're just not there, you know, holding that patient's hand anymore. You know, Brian, I think that there are a lot of opportunities for CDI to improve patient care and not just the perception of good patient care. I think identifying quality of care issues is totally in the CDI wheelhouse. So like if we find instances of hacks or patient safety indicators, I think I feel really strongly that people should not be doing contortions to try to desperately get them erased from the record. If there is an issue that somebody is having a lot of like wound dehiscences, maybe the answer is they need to wash their hands better. And like sepsis is another good example. We see it all the time, patients who they didn't recognize the patient had sepsis early enough to intervene or at all, like the organ dysfunction went unnoticed. So that, that's the kind of thing where we can actually, if we can help our systems get sepsis right, we can really have a tangible impact on improving patient care. And I think CDI is an important part of the team. Well, great stuff and a, and a great note to end this conversation on. Really appreciate it, uh, Erica and Autumn. Great stuff. Let's take a quick look at our poll question. Um, I'm going to go ahead and share that with the audience again. We asked our audience, do you miss working at the bedside with at patient care? Uh, 8% say yes. It's a, it's a regular ache they still feel not being at the bedside. 50%, uh, our largest bucket, say yes as well, um, albeit somewhat from time to time. 31% say no, 11% this is not applicable to them, and then we did get some great comments throughout the show. So any any comments on these poll results? Anything surprise you here? 58% feeling they, they, they do miss the bedside. You know, when I, when I became a physician advisor, I was uh, the, the CMO um, took me in his office and he said he didn't think I should give up uh, patient care because I was really going to miss it. He was an OB-GYN, you know, he, he said, you know, he has dreams about it still. And I thought to myself, I have nightmares about it. So, uh, I, you know, I really missed the olden days when you could sit and hold people's hands and talk to them. But now that everything is all about productivity, you know, I, I don't know that I necessarily miss it, but I felt during COVID like I wanted, like I, if I was needed, I would have responded. So this doesn't really surprise me that much. I think it's normal for people to miss it from time to time. And I think it's actually normal for people to go, nope, it was time for me to move on to something else. Yep. How about you, Autumn, any comments there? No, I mean, I, I think that's right. I, I can, you know, going back to when I was in the ICU and we hand wrote our notes and, you know, it, we had our patients for six weeks and you, you got to meet their families. I think uh, being a nurse at bedside right now is very different from what I remember. Um, but, you know, it, it goes back and forth, but we all chose to come into CDI 
for specific reasons. It's kind of like, you know, when you've worked at a restaurant and sometimes you're like, hey, that would be great if I could just be a waitress again. And then you run into the obstacles of why you left. Um, I think we all have those tugs, but COVID has just made us feel, you know, like maybe we need to be there to help and support. So um, no, I, I don't, I think those are, you know, very much what I would have would have thought the poll would show. Yep. All right. We're getting close to the top of the hour, but I wanted to wrap up with just a, a brief news segment. You know, in the news segment, we got an important one for you. We mentioned on last our our last episode two weeks ago, the IPPS rule had just come out. We hadn't really got a chance to talk about it. Um, it is out and available. I was just looking today that there is actually a re somewhat readable version in the Federal Register as opposed to the eye-gouging PDF you, you get when they initially uh, put it out. So a little bit easier to read, but, um, you know, in short, we, we've covered this on actus.org. Um, here, if you haven't read our story, I also found, a, you know, a, sort of a very, very high-level encapsulated review from uh, Becker's Hospital Review, Eight Things to Know. Um, just briefly, you know, it, so this again, this was published on April 27th. CMS is accepting comments on the rule through June 28th. And if you know anything about a regulatory committee, the ACTUS Regulatory Committee pushes people to, to comment. CMS does listen and we've actually seen some evidence again in this year that they've seen our comments and have made a change as a result. Um, but a few high level things, there is going to be a 2.8% increase in Medicare payment rates in fiscal year 2022 over 2021. It's going to be about 3.4 billion in, um, in payments nationally as a result. Um, CMS has proposed repealing the requirement to report median payer-specific negotiated rates by MSDRG to remove some of the administrative burden on hospitals. They're extending the add-on payment for COVID-19 treatment. So we know we get that 20% bonus payment if, if we have the results reported uh, in the record. That will be through the end of the fiscal year in which the public health emergency ends. Um, they're suppressing many value-based payment programs because last year was it's not fair to be rating hospitals on how they performed in a pandemic. I'm glad they they did that. Yes. Uh, there's um, and I guess maybe just a few. Actually, there's one other thing I want to highlight with the CC and MCC list. So there were nine proposed additions to the CC list, including. I5A, I never like reading ICD-10 codes anymore, but a non-ischemic myocardial injury, non-traumatic. There were uh, some pro proposed additions to the MCC list. You can find this in table 6I.1, but essentially acute flaccid myelitis, other toxic encephalopathy, unspecified toxic encephalopathy, thrombotic microangiopathy, a code which is abbreviated as HSCTTMA. That's all I'm going to say about that one. Um, as well as traumatic brain compression with and without herniations are have been added to the MCC list. The, really the big change though is that CMS is proposing to downgrade all unspecified diagnosis codes to a non-NCC when there are other codes available in that code subcategory that further specify the anatomic site. So they're 
you're really pushing hard on specificity. That's that's about hey, Brian. Five hundred codes. Yes. Um, you know what? It's it's really mostly specifically laterality. Okay. So it's very interesting because I often teach providers that like if you don't know which hip you're replacing, the payer's not going to pay you for replacing the hip. So it sounds like it's really going to like this is really important, but it's kind of like if you don't know that it's a left, hmm. you know, elbow pressure ulcer, we're not going to give you the CC for it. Gotcha. Yeah. So make make it's sure good. your physicians know their left hand from their right. Hand. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. Write that X on there if you don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, that does take us to the, the top of the hour here. So we're going to go ahead and, and wrap up here quickly. Again, we, we did have our new four board members voted on Chris Petrilli. Oh, Autumn Ryder was one of them as well. Uh, Kelly Sutton and Lena Wilson. So I want to welcome those four on. We had four rotate off. Uh, Fran Jurak, Jeff Morris, Arena Zeusman, and Erica Reamer. So we, we have new board members coming in and going on the same show. And I'm the great, <laughs> great people, and I'm, I'm thrilled for all the, the work uh, you've, you did with us, Erica, and, and Autumn, looking forward to your tenure on the board. I know. I'm going to miss you guys. Yeah. But I'll still be around. Uh, we know where to find you. <laughs> <laughs> so that is going to do it for the Actus podcast today. We'll see you back here again in two weeks. We're covering some of the E&M guidelines changes that have gone into effect. Um, if you like this show, if you have any other suggestions for future shows, I love hearing from you. That's how I get ideas. Uh, Laurie, you, you gave me this particular idea. This was great. So keep those coming. If you have a future guest you think I should bring on, or maybe you want to be a guest, send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. All right, that will do it. We'll see you back here again in two weeks. And take care, everyone.